Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 133, I'm Skylar Callahan, and that is the signal caller judge running. And this time of year is like the most craziest, hectic, most hectic time of year for both Jed and I, because we're knee deep into all these recruiting uh, kids and, and trying to figure out who's coming to West Virginia, who's not. He's got to do the signing day show uh, for MSN. I've got to do it for our, our site and nine years now. So it's it's crazy times trying to figure out what these kids are good at, what they're not, who what their background is. We're going to get into all of that stuff here today. We're going to talk about West Virginia's 2024 class. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about the transfer portal a little bit about the needs, some of the guys that they have committed at this point. Again, that can change at any moment because um, as Jed will, will explain here in a minute, that can that's not as uh, as set in stone as these kids that signed here this past Wednesday. So uh, let's go ahead and get into it with the transfer portal. So as of today, as we record this on Thursday evening, West Virginia has six guys committed through the portal. Ohio State linebacker Reed Carrico, Gardner Webb, edge rusher Ty French, Colorado State cornerback TJ Crandall, Oklahoma State wide receiver Jaden Bray, Louisville safety Josh Minkins Jr., and cornerback from Duquesne Aiden Garns. Out of these six, I got to admit, Jed, this they're hitting on all their needs right now. We we've heard from the very beginning of the of the off season that Neil and this coaching staff were really going to hammer this secondary hard, and, and they really had to, regardless if. If any of these guys that entered the portal at the end of the season or not, they were going to have to add to get some more into that too deep. I really like Crandall. I think Minkins is a guy that can come in and play right away. And Garns, I think, is kind of in the same breath. I mean, we saw him play against West Virginia at a couple of tackles um, in that game that, that lasted about eight hours long that, that you were in. So um, I think it's a nice class so far. Yeah, and, uh, you know, what's nice about it is when you're, when you're behind the scenes – to some extent, uh, and you have conversations with the staff, uh, the vision of Drew Favionich as the general manager, uh, basically running points on all things personnel. Uh, what you're seeing unfold is highly orchestrated. It's all according to plan. It's very structured. And uh, it's, it's in large measure the, the brainchild of Drew Favionich. I mean, this is what he had in mind. When, when you talk to him in preceding months, this is what he viewed West Virginia working towards. And as you touched on each of those names, you could talk about a different skill set or value that they're going to bring right out of the gate. We, we always talk about even in the portal, there are two types of players. Uh, there are immediate impact players and there are developmental players. Atomi would be one, a kid that, that had, comes up here with three years left, three plus years left from Kentucky after transferring. So sometimes you're looking at long-term kids in the portal as well. But each of those names that you write at all uh, have a puncher's chance to step in and, and help right away. And uh, again, each one for different reasons, but uh, you finished with Garns. I mean, what I remember about Garns is I was impressed by the kid as I was studying tape on Duquesne getting ready for the game this year. Uh, he can play corner. He's, he's slight in size, but he plays bigger than his weight. Uh, but he can also play the post. Um, you can drop him back at safety. So he brings a lot of versatility and a lot of those guys, that's the key word. The B word versatility is the case with most of those guys, but uh, each of them brings some level of value. And uh, we talked about this when the portal opened 
and people were on some level having minor freakouts that we didn't right out of the gate sign a bunch of kids. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Pump the brakes. We have a strategy. There's a method to our madness. Understand and have faith in the staff and in Drew Fabianich and in what we're trying to do. And uh, now you're starting to see some of those pieces fall into place, and that will continue. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Reed Carrico, um, this was a guy that was silently committed to West Virginia for, I think, about a week or so. Um, he actually came back a second time to uh, to visit the show his mom. And um, he's, it's a guy that was highly recruited out of high school. He's one of the top linebackers, not only in the state of Ohio, but in the country. Just got buried on the depth chart in Ohio State. And this is kind of his first opportunity to really step up and, and play a role in a defense. And I don't know if he's going to start, but – I mean, he's going to have a chance to, to make an impact. And I, that's really what they needed. We kind of talked about it earlier in the offseason. You're going to have to find a, a replacement for Lee Cobo because as talented and as young or as talented as that linebacker group is, they're really, really young. They needed an experienced player to come in, kind of take over that mentor uh, role that Lee had. And, and I think Reed will do that. Ty French is some box opportunities. When I, when I, when I see Carrico, yeah. I'll tell you what I see. I don't see the pedigree. I don't see the star rating. I don't see the Buckeye logo next to him. I see a blue collar Ironton, Ohio kid. That he's an old school player. Fits right into our locker room. I mean, that's what I see. Yeah, he's he's an old school player, yeah. and and yeah, yeah. I hundred percent agree with you. Um, Ty French is an intriguing one because, to be honest with you, Jed, like I think he's got a chance to be the best pass rusher that Neil Brown's had, and. I mean, this this guy was an FCS All-American. He led the conference in sacks three years running. He knows how to get to the pass rusher – or to the passer. And, and I really think, too, he's better in the run game than people give him credit for. I think everyone just looks at the sacks and the TFLs, but I think he's pretty good in the run fit, too. Yeah, when, when you look at a kid like that, you know that the starting point could always be a sub package, but then you want to expand beyond that. In other words, how close to an every down player are you going to show up on campus being? Because we recognize the fact when we go to sub packages on third down and passing situations, his skill set is uniquely tailored to fit that, right? But what about when it's first and 10? What about when it's second and eight? Can you work towards being more of that every down player? And can you work to get 35, 40 snaps instead of 20 snaps? Yeah. And and Jaden Bray on the other side, of the Oklahoma State wide receiver, Another big pickup because you're losing Devin Carter. And again, kind of the similar situation to linebacker room. You feel good about the talent there. It's just so incredibly young. You don't know what you're going to get from a week-to-week basis. Jaden Bray is going to come in and fill that void of kind of what Devin Carter did. What do you think about some of the remaining needs that that West Virginia has? Because I think Neil said they're probably going to look at adding three to four, maybe even five more transfers before it's all said and done. That could be now or in the spring. What do you think they need to hit on? Well, again, let's let's look at the addition of that wideout. You have a big-bodied kid who plays a big game. We've seen that up close and personal against West Virginia. captured Oklahoma State. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, not all 6'2 kids play like they're 6'2". He's one who does. He oh, plays yeah. for the football. He wins 50-50 balls. So he's going to bring the experience to the room, but he's also going to bring that big frame to the room, and he's going to play big. So uh, I would expect us to still be in pursuit of at least one more tight end uh, from the portal. Uh, but but even when you when you look defensively, you're going to have to continue to sprinkle things at each level. Like we, we like by and large where we're at on the defensive line, but you never know what's going to present itself. 
Uh, and when you look in the linebacker room, we'll see because there's also the question of how many of these kids that we're about to get into after the break in the signing class can step in and contribute right away. How many of those kids are game ready? Uh, but on the third level, that's we, we've started to address that. I'm not sure if we're done. You know, I'm not yeah. sure if we're done. So uh, bear in mind, this is a work in progress that will continue over the course of the next handful of weeks. But also there's another portal window in May. And trust me when I say there'll be some action there as well. First of all, I'd be shocked if we don't lose another couple players after the bowl game. So there's going to be more movement. That's just the nature of, of the new modern, the new game, right? Yeah. So there's going to be changes both in and out in the coming weeks. But even post spring ball, you're also going to have in that May window some more changes. You'll probably have some attrition. You'll probably have some additions. So it's a work in progress. But where we're at right now, I think what we need to do is competitively, we need to work toward a point where we have some depth, all right? And the staff has the leverage as opposed to the starting kid. Because if the starting kid recognizes, hey, there's not much of a gap between me and the guy behind me, then all of a sudden, you know, iron makes iron stronger. Metal forges uh, stronger metal. Uh, so I think that's what we're working towards. And when you talk about Carrico, whether he starts or not, he's going to push that room. Oh, and yeah. that's exactly what you need. You need a veteran presence that's going to push that room. And these are the types of kids that we're adding. And I think, too, with the linebackers, everyone kind of seems to forget. I mean, Josiah Charter's not played a single snap yet. He can, he's coming off a very tough injury. Trey Lathan is coming off a serious injury. So there's even though ta there's talent in that room, there's a lot of question marks. How are those guys going to come back from injury? Sometimes they're not the same players. More often than not, they'll be okay. But you never know. Um, I think – Offensive line, you could maybe add a, a piece. I don't know that there's a surprise that we do. I would, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if they added another receiver if it's the right guy. Well, uh, look at the O line, for instance, Skylar. Uh, yeah. You have to be judicious. You have to be very careful because you don't want to disrupt the chemistry of that room. That's the strength in that room is the chemistry. So it has to absolutely be the right fit. In yeah. other words. If we bring someone into the portal in the offensive line, and this is the case with any position, but I think that room in particular, trust me when I say they've got the seal of approval from the rest of the room, because it's a certain type of it's a certain type of mindset, mentality, and personality that it takes to fit in that room. So we may do it, but that tells you that we found somebody that fits that room very well. Yeah, and and I'm a hundred percent there with you with the, the defensive backs. Like I I wouldn't be shocked if they add maybe even two more, like there, there's going to be attrition that happens. I think when I was doing the the counting the other day, if you add the 24 class plus the six transfers that they have committed, I think they're around like 90, 91 scholarships or something like that. So there's going to have to be somebody leaving the program regardless. So don't freak out when there's be. seven or eight guys to leave the, the, the team after the bowl game. So don't panic. The, there will be. Come and do it. Yeah. Yes, there will be some guys. By moving. hook or by crook, there will be. Yeah. So um, this is. Oh, and breaking news too, Skylar. We, uh -oh. we probably should have hit this at the top. As, as we're speaking, we're taping today. The news that came out today was oh, yeah. on the coaching staff. Obviously, Jared Parker getting the head job, former Mountaineer offensive coordinator with a longstanding history with Neil Brown. But he takes the head job at Troy. And I think that's a great hire for Troy for a host of reasons. Uh, probably not that surprised to see uh, Dante Wright uh, leave the West Virginia staff to take the defensive coordinator spot for Jared Parker at Troy. Two guys who are from the same hometown in Kentucky. They have a lot of history together. Uh, nothing surprising, I don't think, about that at all. 
No. Uh, so Coach Wright moving up in the world, Coach Parker with the head job at Troy. So uh, a little bit of disruption <clears throat> to this point, but that's kind of business as usual too. I, you never know. I mean, is that the end of the coaching staff shakeups? Who knows? This is that time of year, right? Yeah. As the, the musical chairs are moving throughout the country. So that's what's played out. Yeah, I think that's a great hire for uh, for Troy, and I think it's an awesome opportunity for Jared. Um, it, it seems like there's a lot of this West Virginia-Troy pipeline going on here the last few years. Uh, Al Pogue actually went back there, I think, at one point. So he might still be there. I'm not sure. Um, but our show is brought to you by Bet Online. I didn't get this in earlier. Sorry, Bet Online. Don't be mad at me. Um, and also by Toothman Ford, we all know cars cost less in Grafton. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we return on the other side, we're going to talk about the high school class that is uh, on their way to West Virginia. Their, NI, their NILs or NLIs, whatever acronym you want to use for it, they are in. And uh, seven of them will be here in just a couple of weeks as early enrollees. So we'll dive into that here after this break. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to, to save you thousands. thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. If you work the land, you just got to be a jack-of-all-trades type. There's just too much to do. So if you got to be a welder or a farmer or a ditch digger, that's just who you are that day. Then tomorrow, you can be somebody else. Get your coyote at the new location of Johnston Equipment between Weston and Buckhannon. All righty, and we're back. We're going to go ahead and get into some of this high school stuff. Uh, another thank you to Johnston's Equipment. You can check out the new location out on Route 33, new friends of the show. Uh, Jed, this was a, a unique kind of year, I think, with the signing class because you had to, to manage so many things. First year in a couple of years, they've had to manage bowl prep, and then you have player retention piece of it. You're recruiting the portal yourself, and you also have to recruit these kids that have been committed to you for the better part of the last year. So um, I do want you to speak on it before we kind of get into it, the difference 
in because I think you spoke incredibly well on it during the signing day show the other day. The difference in when these kids send their their national letters of intent in compared to what the transfers and what they do and how that's they're so far off it doesn't even really matter. Yeah, what you're dealing with here is it's a much more binding situation with your sign ease right. uh, from a high school standpoint. The portal, it still has a, a Wild West element to it. I mean, it's almost until that window closes in early January, you're going to have other schools preying on these portal kids and continue to, irrespective of whether or not they burbled and committed to you or not, uh, really until they're sitting in class behind a desk at your school. It, it, it's almost literally to that point. Up until that point, whether they've signed, not signed, that stuff's not as binding. I mean, there's some caveats to that but it's a different animal you, you really hope that you pick the right kids they're not flaky there's a foundation to your relationship enough so that you can see it through for the next three weeks and they do end up landing like you hope they would enrolled in the school but yeah it's, it's a different animal but the portal's a different animal uh that i'm sure at some point moving forward that will be addressed but at this point with this hellscape of a calendar it's not been. <laughs> They've jammed all these things together. No coach in America is happy about it. Nobody yeah. seems to have the perfect resolution. In basketball, they like to have earlier signing periods, right? Sometimes you'll sign before your senior year. Well, something tells me that, you know, we had, uh, you know, AJ on, Coach Jackson, uh, on the show yesterday, and he and I were talking about it. I'm like, something tells me if you try that in football, you have kids sitting out their senior year in high school. It's like, that, that that's what will be downstream from that so you always have to be concerned and conscious of the unintended consequences of these things that you view as a remedy so who knows oh. how you fix this next part of it the calendar needs addressed there's no doubt about it i don't know that you go back to the old days of the first week in february where you basically have to stand guard and keep the wolves at the door after the kids verbal, now you got to spend two months just hawkishly watching the kid while every other staff in America preys upon them, trying to flip them. I don't know if that's the answer. And I don't know if the answer is early in their senior year. I don't know what the answer might be, but they do need to explore some different options other than I'm sitting there watching a bowl game the other night. It didn't end until after 11 o'clock. And that both those staffs in that bowl game had to deal with the same stuff we were dealing with yesterday. Yeah. So they probably didn't go to bed. I mean, they probably went straight to the fax machine and the email. And so you got to do something about it. It's just, it's, you're burning the can too many ends. My solution, my, my solution will never come to fruition because in my opinion, I, I honestly hate the gap anyways, in between the final week of the regular season or conference championship week. And then the bowl game, you have a month where you're almost a completely different team because you're in a rhythm, you're in a routine, you're being the same team every week. And then you go three or four weeks without playing and you lose all that rhythm. To me, I'd love to just see, hey, next week you play your bowl game and boom, you move on. But obviously because of TV and all that other jazz, you're not, you're never going to have that. But I, I think you have a situation right now. I talked about this yesterday. Uh, not to interrupt, Skyler. Yeah. Texas has a situation as a playoff team. Their backup quarterback and the wants to see it through and play the playoffs with his team. But he recognizes, hey, not only am I in a backup, but I have a five-star battling to be the backup ahead of me. I, I need to probably transfer out and find a better situation. I don't want to do that until the playoffs is over, but the calendar is forcing him to do it prematurely. He doesn't want to leave until the playoffs are over, but because of the current calendar, he's going to have to. 
Yeah. And that's unfortunate. So that's an unintended consequence. There's a lot of those, but. It's a mess. Um, Speaking of quarterbacks, I think that's where we should start. Khalil Wilkins. Um, Neil Brown said when he first took this job that they were going to try and take a quarterback in each and every single class. And I think that's the right thing to do anyways, but especially now with the way the portal is, you need to stockpile these guys because it seems like even though you're going to bring one in every year, you're probably going to lose one every year or maybe every other year to the portal. We saw Goose Crowder last year. Don't know what will happen this offseason, but it feels like this is a really good situation at West Virginia's in because you have Garrett Green coming back. You have Nico kind of being groomed right underneath him, and then you have Sean Boyle and Khalil Wilkins that will be battling for the long-term future uh, starting gig. Uh, behind them so it seems like this is a really good healthy situation that they have uh, but let's talk about Khalil Wilkins what do you see in this dual threat left-handed quarterback there's now two of them in the room two southpaws yeah two southpaws he's very slippery he's very elusive uh, he does have great arm talent when you watch him on tape he's accurate uh, all the, the arm talent is there from a placement and timing standpoint. One of the things that impressed me in his tape is he stands tall and he's fearless in the pocket. He has that that willingness to buy those couple extra beats for his wideouts to make something happen, and he'll exchange that for a blow from a defender. I mean, he's not afraid to do that. Uh, I like his vision. There's times that you'll see him use his eyes to manipulate coverage and move safeties, uh, so I like that about him. Uh, but the athleticism is just hard to miss. I mean, he yeah. he has this great escape ability. And sometimes these guys who are this athletic at this early stage, uh, they, they tend to become runners as soon as they break contain, as, as soon as they extend a play. We, we saw Garrett so much in previous years. He would break free of the pocket and immediately look just to run the football. He was focused on the defender right in front of him, not understanding that the true gold lies downfield. When you can extend a play, you're maximizing the pressure on the back end of the secondary, and it's too much for them to cover for those extra three beats. So the big plays are made downfield. Garrett now is starting to understand that you see him make those plays downfield, but it took him a while. Well, with Khalil Wilkins, this is a kid who on his tape, he's already starting to recognize some of that, and he's appreciating the fact that the big plays are downfield when he extends those plays and breaks free of the pocket. And the thing about him is he's so athletic, sometimes – People will try and outnumber you and bring pressure against him. Well, the unfortunate trade-off defensively is when you do that, by and large, you have to offer up some form of man coverage to bring those extra numbers. And if you don't get home and he gets loose, he will run all day. That's the problem with man coverage when you don't get home against guys like this. How many times have you seen the Pat Whites of the world do that? I mean, if you don't get home and you're playing man behind it, you got a bunch of DBs running wild with their backs to the football. There's not like zone coverage and their eyes are on the ball and they see it to be in position. So that's what you see with this kid. And, you know, he did camp at WVU. He came up, he was part of seven on seven. He dominated the seven on seven. Matter of fact, I think that's when he made his commitment was right about the time of that seven on seven camp. So there's a lot to like, uh, but the beauty of it is he's not going to be forced into duty. It's not going to be a baptism under fire. You had the luxury of Sean Reagan and the staff bringing him in and bringing him along slowly, and he can learn from guys like Garrett and guys like Nico and even Sean Boyle to some extent. So, Yeah, and I, I, like I think, too, the, the, and I agree with you when you said this on the signing day show, he, it's it's even better because he's going to get to go spend a lot of time with Mike Joseph. And if he fills that frame out, oh, my goodness, because he's already got an immense arm talent. But, I mean, size. yeah. 
Yeah, and he's got good size. He's already six foot three, 190 pounds. And, you know, he's a pass first quarterback. Even though he can run, I think he he would rather throw the football. Where some of these kids, like you said with Garrett, like I think he was a runner, uh, an athlete playing quarterback and has had to learn to be a, uh, an actual quarterbacker and thrower of the football where Khalil, I think he's already there. It's just a matter of, yeah. of getting more mature and developed. So uh, moving to the running backs, uh, we've got Dior Hubbard and uh, Travion Dunbar here. And even though there's some differences in these two guys, there's a lot of similarities in that they, they're hard runners. And at least that's what I see on tape. They're, they're both really good in between the tackles. No one likes to seem to tackle either of these guys. Um, what do you like here with these two backs? I think production. Uh, when, when you combine what these two kids together, you're looking, Skylar, at almost 10,000 yards rushing. And uh, uh, there was just tremendous production from both of them. And, and Dunbar is a kid who tore his ACL early in his career, but he bounced back. And he had just an incredibly productive senior year. He ran for over 2,000 yards. He averaged over 230 yards a game. But when you watch his tape, uh, explosive, smooth, no wasted motion. He's incredibly decisive. He's a north-south guy. He's a north-south guy with pop, with great vision. I think his his vision is probably his greatest strength. He yeah. sees daylight, he plants a toe, and he takes off. He has tremendous balance and spatial awareness. And you'll see in his tape there were a handful of times when it seemed like he was absolutely out of space and he used every inch of real estate on the sidelines to dot the eye, make his way up the sidelines, avoid some defenders and make some big plays. And it takes a lot of good contact to get him to the ground. So there's a lot to be excited about because the production was there. The physicality was there. Uh, much the same with Dior Hubbard. This is a kid who ran for over 5,000 yards <laughs> in Ohio high school football. I mean, this isn't, as I said on the show yesterday, southwestern north dakota high school football <laughs> not knocking north dakota high school football but it's not ohio right so when you run for 5200 yards and you're the central district ohio player of the year twice uh that speaks to production uh it yeah. speaks to your ability uh he's a highly productive kid obviously he has great quickness great burst the strength to run right through arm tackles uh he's also blessed with tremendous balance which so many of these home run hitters often have uh, and he has that extra gear once he breaks into the third level you see that extra gear kick in on tape and he's just difficult in a handful to bring down in space uh, and he always makes the first defender miss so he's a difficult guy to tfl you're not often going to get him off script and go behind the chains when you hand him the football you can you rely on him consistently getting positive yardage irrespective of what the situation might bring uh he's just so slippery in tight spaces he's a very strong inside runner uh when they, they run inside zone man he really makes that thing sing but uh he sees daylight he hits a crease and he goes and five thousand yards in, in ohio high school football it's you just put exclamation points after that both of these guys there's some parallels in their game uh from a production standpoint but both relatively the same build uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about both of them. Both have some pop. Yeah, they, they know how to hit the hole, and they both have really strong lower halves and um, good contact balance. And, and I think they're no-nonsense backs. That's kind of the one term I keep saying with these two is they, they just they're, – they're not these patient guys that dance in the backfield. They they get the ball and they go. Like, they're, they're, they're going to run right through the hole, make their decision. Well, both, and of them, and, both of them – both of them – this is one of the things I always liked about Steve Slayton. 
the Steve uh, Steve Slayton always ran the football like he was a kick returner. Yeah, they ran it. One of the skill sets, one of the traits of a great kick returner is you don't dance. You find a crease, you see the crease, and you go. Uh, And that's something that these two share. Both of them see that crease. They don't waste time. They don't go east-west. Boom, they go north. Let's move over to the uh, the receivers. Uh, we've got a few of them here. Brandon Raymond, who I think is a really pretty polished receiver uh, in his own right. I think he's a, a three-level threat guy. He can beat you in every ass uh, uh, spot of the field. Dom Collins, Keyshawn Robinson. Um, and then you also got uh, the guy that flipped his commitment on signing day, Day-Day Farmer, who is quite the magician with the football in his hands. You start with Brandon Raymond, uh, very soft hands. He attacks the football. He high points it. He goes up after it. He wins 50-50 balls. Uh, you like the fact that as a high schooler, he catches with his hands and not with his body. So he doesn't use that as a crutch. Uh, he's a very agile route runner. Besides, you would expect a very limited route tree. Even in a program as advanced as St. Joe's Prep, they still have a more limited route tree than what you're going to be exposed to at college. But yeah. despite that, Uh, He's a very soft and agile route runner. He gets in and out of his breaks. Uh, You know, Coach Marshall talked yesterday about the fact he's six foot, but Brandon almost plays like he's 5'10", in the sense that he gets in and out of his cut so quickly. And you'll see him on tape. He forces a lot of DPIs because he outgains the leverage of the corner of the defensive back, and he puts them in a bad spot. And so they desperately start reaching. He has great body control, uh, really good sense of timing in the screen game. That's a critical part of the modern receiver. And you see a lot of – he's shifty, but there's it translates to a lot of, a lot of yards after catch. And he's able to yeah. separate from coverage. I mean, that, that that's a big strength. And when you look at Keyshawn Robinson, in-state product, Jefferson County High School, uh, I talked to his head coach, Craig Hunter. I actually played against his head coach. Uh, Craig and I played against each other. He was a defender for Shepherd College back when Jeff Castillo was at Shepherd. So Craig and I were telling some war stories the other night. But uh, Keyshawn's a special kid. Uh, good short area quickness and cutting ability. He's too very decisive in space. Uh, he has a nose for the end zone. Uh, he doesn't need a lot of daylight to make something happen. Uh, you know, uh, Craig was telling a story about they, they played a hurricane, and this was when Key was on the defensive side of the football, which he's still listed as an athlete. He has the skill set. We're, we're trying to determine that. I asked Coach Marshall, is, is there going to be a tug of war in the staff room? And he said, hey, wherever he lands, he's going to be a player because he does have the skill set to play on either side of the football. But they played hurricane high school. And Hurricane had a standout receiver. And the staff was trying to determine, hey, what are we going to do from a coverage standpoint when we don't have key on this guy? Because there's going to be times that we have to do some other things and roll coverage and key be away from him. And he said, Keyshawn overheard the conversation and said, whoa, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. I went on that guy all night. I'm going to lock him down and I'm going to shut him down. And he said, that's exactly what happened. And he said, in the same game, Keyshawn fumbled. And he came up to me and said, Coach Craig, he said, I got your back. I'll make it up to you. And he said, wouldn't you know it? I didn't have time to blank. Uh, He has a pick six and scores a couple plays later. He has an 80-yard touchdown catch, so he more than made it up to me. He's always got your back. He can erase problems. He can make problems go away. And this is a kid that Jefferson County High School track standout. Now, when you say Jefferson County High School and you mention track, you think James Jett. He's actually in pursuit of a couple of James Jett state records and school records, and that's one of the reasons he's not going to be an early enrollee. Uh, is because he'll actually be competing for Jefferson County and he'll have them in state. Uh, so there's going to be some opportunities for him uh, to do that. Dom Collins, I mean, we saw 
watching West Virginia High School's preseason at the AAA level, just how incredibly productive he is. He had a big game, the state championship game. I mean, people are going to be talking for many years to come about what he did in that shootout against Bridgeport. I mean, he had eight catches for over 300 yards. Uh, West Virginia had him in camp. Neil talked about the fact, he said, look, I think he might have run the fastest 40 time I've ever seen in person with my own eyes. Uh, it's just a matter of stature with him. He's a very small, uh, little, somewhat diminutive kid. So that was held against him by a lot of schools. But the playmaking ability has absolutely been there. Uh, and then you could even argue that maybe the gym or the hidden gem, if he's hidden at all, of the class is Day-Day Farmer. And the thing you like about Day-Day Farmer, Day-Day's another guy that from a skill set standpoint, Central Catholic Florida kid, from a skill set standpoint, he brings so much value that he, too, could play on either side of the football. It's not outlandish to suggest you might see him do both. I'm not ruling that yeah. out. I mean, that's well, the type God. of skill set that he has. But uh, 5'11", 165, once he puts on another 10, 15 pounds with Mike Joseph, I'm telling you, this guy could be the limit. But even at 165 pounds, the thing that pops about him on tape, yes, he's explosive. Yes, he's dynamic. Yes, he's electrifying. All those things make him special and unique and stand out. But he plays such a strong brand of football for 165 pounds, such yeah. a physical brand of football. He's not afraid to block you as a receiver when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. As a DB, he'll come up and light you up. So you would not know by watching his tape that he doesn't weigh a buck 70. You yeah. think he, he, he weighs in at 10, 15 pounds heavier than he does. And at some point in the near future, he will. But this is a kid that was initially verbal to pit then verbal to UCF, but we had a long-standing relationship with him. We played the long game. I mean, Neil talked about this yesterday. He said, look, he said, I don't believe in coming in late on guys, and that's not what would happen with Day-Day Farmer. We had a two-year relationship as a staff with this kid, and so that's why I was comfortable making that late push because we knew him for so long. So, yeah, uh, yeah when you look at the four kids and the different skill sets that they bring, uh, you know, varying levels of how polished they might or might not be, but they all have playmaking ability. And there's there's reasons from each of the four to uh, to be excited. Yeah, and what I like about it too, there's a theme there. When I was watching the tape last week, is those kids love the block. Like it, and it's not just that they they have the ability to do it, but I mean they do it with with passion, and and they they go and, and hunt these blocks. Like I, I can't remember if it was Day Day or if it was Raymond. There was one play that was kind of like a little bit of a screen, went downfield. He was kind of clogged up, and then it went way downfield, and he's sprinting all the way down, and he, he picks up two blocks on the way to get the, the touchdown. So impressive stuff. Um, we, we might as well go ahead and throw in here uh, to Jackson Mark of the tight end. He's a big kid already, six foot six, 240 pounds. I think he's got a little ways to go as a pass catcher, um, but I think he's going to fit better in this offense in in the offense that he was in at least from the tape that i saw looked like he was lined up in the slot a lot and i think it would better benefit him to be more attached to the offensive line as a blocker someone that can slip out in the flatter up the seam what do you like about jack uh, first of all the frame is there you can build on that frame he he already has a tremendous relationship with the staff and with wayne stewart uh you know both his head coach evan dreyer uh, and Jack himself were big fans of Wayne Stewart. I had a chance to talk to Evan Dreyer. They, they got a heck of a program over there. And uh, uh, he's he's so big on this kid. He's like, look, there's not a hole in his game. Uh, he's an ideal student. He's a 3.5 kid. He's an academic all-conference kid in the weight room. He's really grown in the last year and a half. But uh, he's so physical with violent hands. 
that they talked about the fact that in the in the postseason, and this is against you know pretty high level high school football in Ohio. He said in the postseason, we had to put him on the defensive line because his hands are so violent. Offensively, they couldn't contend with it. He said, so I knew if I played him first and second down on the defensive line that we would face a lot of third and longs. So that was, as crazy as it might sound, that was our strategy in the postseason. Defensively, we put him on the defensive line, first and second down, then we rested him on third down, and that's how we won these playoff games. He said, so it just says so much about the type of football player that he is, but also he's athletic enough to make things happen in space. Like, like uh, coach dryer was telling me, he's like, look, we we're high octane up tempo. And he said, we, we called a play one time early in the season. And uh, he said, he caught it in the flat. And I thought, you know, he had about an eight yard gain and I thought he was going down. And he said, so I already started lining things up for the next play. He said, I look up and he's going 40 some yards for a touchdown. He said, he made three guys miss. He found a way to stay on his feet. He said, never sell this kid short. And there was a game in which they were down, this was the last week of the regular season, season, and they were down 28 to 7. And he said, Jack didn't lead the game. He said, offensively, defensively, special teams-wise, he was contributing and pitching in. We were down 28 to 7 in a must-win situation to become the first one seed in the history of the school. And he said, all he does, he has four sacks. He has eight knockdowns as a blocker. He really paved the way for us to come from behind and win that football game. And this, this is a kid who played on a team that also has a Division One running back and a Division One receiver. And he's like, look, I don't care. He said he was consistently telling me, Coach Dreyer, whatever you need from me, just tell me. I don't need the numbers. I don't need the production. I just want to win. And he said, so sometimes we had to lean on a running back. Sometimes we had to lean on a receiver. But there were times that, yeah, he played a lot in the slot, but he also, there were times he would even, when you talk to Coach Dreyer, he's like, look, I put him out wide yeah. and uh, singled him up at X because I wanted single coverage when they went man free. And I just knew from a leverage standpoint, he was too much to handle. He truly is that guy that he will find a way to block each of the 11 guys on the defense on a different play because it's, in other words, he'll go from blocking a 160-pound corner one snap to a 305-pound D-tackle the next. He has the strength and technique to do that against the big defenders, but also the quickness and the understanding of leverage to do against the smaller, quicker defenders. So uh, he's uh, he's going to be one heck of an asset for us once we bring him into the program, once Mike Joseph gets a hold of him, and once Blaine Stewart can cultivate him, and he'll be able to learn as part of that tight end room. And that's exactly the kind of body type. I mean, I could see him being 6'6 and a half, 6'7, 265. By the time he's done, I mean, I could just see him being like one of those Ohio Ohio State, one of those Iowa State tight ends that we were so envious of. Yeah. In other words, Cole Taylor plus a little more from a size standpoint could be the way he lands. That's that's going to be interesting. Um, now to my favorite part, the offensive line, because I think these guys are fun to watch. I, I like watching offensive line tape. I don't know many people out there that do, but um, I, I find it intriguing. Um, these three guys, two of them, I think, are going to move positions. Um, Justin Terry was a tackle in high school. I think he's better probably suited to kick inside just because of how big he is. Um, I think Lucas Austin's probably going to stay at tackle because of length, the athleticism. And then Kyle Altooner, he's the gem of the class for me. He is the number one recruit in this class. Um, I've tabbed him that for a long time. The way he moves for as big as he is, 
is incredible to watch. You want to see a big guy running in space, in the open space, you want to watch Kyle Altooner. This is a tape that I watched hundreds of times because of how fun it was to see what he can do in pulling action. Um, this is somebody that I think is maybe not a day one starter, but he can start earlier in his career. And Neil has not been afraid to play freshman along the offensive line. Most places you think uh, freshman coming in on the offensive line, automatic redshirt. Not necessarily here. We've had some success with Zach Frazier, Wyatt Milam. I, I think Kyle's kind of built from that same mold. Well, there, there's a lot to be excited about. I, I think I already got a follow from Kyle's. I'm assuming it's his mom on Twitter. Yeah, she, uh, yeah. she, she was liking some of the stuff. But so, uh, but yeah, I had a chance to talk to uh, Coach Andy Stefanelli. They got a, a tremendous program at Good Council. But when you when you watch what he does on tape, he played played both tackle spots. He's more likely to kick to the inside on the interior. Probably end up at center, to be honest with you. Uh, he has a nasty streak to him. He obviously loves the game. Uh, he engages with very strong hands, and he'll absolutely bury you. His his instincts are apparent on tape. He plays smart. He he's a great short yardage blocker already because of his pad level and his strength. Uh, he's effective at both gap and zone. And they actually uh, ran three different blocking concepts. He's effective when they gap, but he's effective when they zone it by climbing, by detaching, climbing to the second level. But they also did some old school man blocking concepts, and he was just as effective at that. that that's a different kind of mentality and a different kind of skill set. But he has the agility to mirror a defender and pass pro, but that's not what he loves. I mean, he loves to pursue, seek, and destroy and bury you. But again, in talking to Coach Stefanelli, this is a school that's produced a lot of NFL talent. Stephon Diggs went to good counsel. Uh, if you think from an offensive line standpoint, currently with the Ravens, Sam Mustafer on their offensive line uh, is a, a grad of good counsel, our lady of good counsel. And, and Coach Stefanelli said, look, I can compare him to Mustafer or any of the others. And from a standpoint of where he is in his career he's right there among the best of them he said he's so savvy on the field he can set up the defensive line with how he's blocking uh, technically he's so advanced he can bend plays with great leverage he's incredibly versatile he's played he played center his whole life until he got to good counsel as a freshman and out of necessity they had to move him out to tackle you know off the field what you like is you so often hear these stories he's kind of an oh shucks uh, oh, shocks, you know, very humble kid off the field. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, he's so intense uh, between the lines. He's just a, a very smart football player who picks things up fast. He'll be a sponge around Matt Moore. Uh, he was a leader of this offensive line for the entire four years he was there. Uh, you know, coach told me there was a big game down the stretch last year, and it was late in the third quarter, and they started tilting the game in their favor and they were running the football effectively and got down around the 40. And he said, there was a timeout. And he said, during the timeout, he said, uh, you know, Kyle came up to me, he said, coach, just don't throw the ball. In other words, he was telling me not to screw this up after the play caller. He's like, just don't throw the ball and we'll be fine. And he, he said, I knew what he meant. And sure enough, we ran it six straight times and, and punched it in right behind him. But that's a uh, special kid an incredibly bright future very athletic and he brings a lot to the table that's that's an interesting thing and and i tell you the first time i talked to kyle i i thought i was talking to matt moore it sounded like so similar to me it was crazy i was having to double check myself it's like am i listening to a matt moore press conference or am i listening to kyle altooner uh but you might like this jet 
Little known fact about Kyle Altooner. His favorite Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Nothing wrong with that. None wrong with that Nothing at all. Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, speak, sticking with the athletic theme on the O-line, when, when you look at Lucas Austin, this is a dude that not only did he play basketball, all right, mm -hmm. it's one thing to play basketball as an O-line, right? But not only did he play basketball, he was a thousand-point career scorer. He owns the school record with 138 threes. You talk about a big man with feet. He has an incredibly high motor. There's no off switch. He's very smart. He's long, but sometimes when you see these high school kids with that kind of length, they tend to play too tall. He doesn't do that. He's incredibly comfortable in his stance. He has good knee bend. He has a great initial burst, good quickness off the snap. There's a lot of pop in his pads. Uh, you see, one of the things you look for is how much snap they have in their hips at the point of engagement. He has great snap in his hips. These are all things that will improve with more coaching and with Mike Joseph. Uh, but he's aggressive in pass protection. In other words, pass protection is a give-and-take proposition. You take your kick step. Uh, you give a little ground. You're trying to buy time for the quarterback. He doesn't like giving ground. I mean, you'll see him take that kick step, and that five technique will push hard to his outside shoulder, and he doesn't gain another inch because yeah. Lucas Austin is just standing firmly, standing his ground. And, uh, you know, when you talk to the staff, uh, you know, Jeff Koontz was telling me, he said when I called him yesterday, he was uh, out practicing his kick steps is what he was doing. But, but uh, again, athleticism is a theme with these three offensive linemen. That's also what you saw to Justin Terry. Uh, you know, a guy that's that's a big human being. He's already 330 pounds. Once you start toning some of that up, that's going to be – the sky's going to be the limit in terms of what he can do from a physicality standpoint. Uh, you love his take because he's so tenacious. And even at that size, he's incredibly athletic. He, too, is athletic. He explodes off the football with low pad level. It's not easy to have low pad level when you're six foot six and weigh 330 pounds. That doesn't come yeah. naturally. So uh, that's impressive. Uh, he spent a lot of time climbing to the second level and seeking out backers and third-level defenders, uh, and he's very effective on the move. Again, a guy that size, that's not an easy trait to master. He's strong. He, he too, rarely gives an inch in pass pro, but he's a pile move. Uh, I mean, he creates running lanes. Defenders don't escape once he's engaged. Once he gets those big mitts on you, you're not going anywhere. He might have had my favorite highlight out of all the tape that I spent the last couple of weeks watching. He had a snap because he just plays to the whistle every play. He had a snap in which he literally lost his helmet in the middle of the play. His helmet completely came off and went rolling down the field. He didn't stop. He actually yep. pancaked a defender he with his going. helmet rolling down the field. I'm like, he is an <laughs> impressive specimen, so bright future for him as well yeah i completely forgot about that i knew one of them did and as soon as you brought it up um uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and flip it over to the defensive side uh but first another thank you to fortis for roof performance of financial certainty guaranteed make sure to visit fortis.us.com and we'll start with the front work our way back jed i think west virginia's got a nice little find here and nate gabriel he's kind of an overlooked prospect um, and then you also have the edge rushers here, which, I mean, my goodness. I mean, how can you not like the kids they're bringing in off the edge? Elijah Kinsler, Abina Wuka, Makai Byerson. I mean, there's some legitimate talent that they have to work with there. Um, Abina, 
he's my number two. He's my number two kid in this class, my number one defensive prospect uh, for West Virginia. What do you like out of those guys? Let's start with Nate Gabriel. Uh, we'll work our way through. Uh, Nate Gabriel, uh, another large human being. Uh, he's going to be an early enrollee so he'll be on campus soon enough here in the next handful of weeks he he, you know he he went to the same high school as Aubrey Burks Aubrey Burks actually I I think dated his sister uh so uh hosted him on his recruiting visit uh he's just incredibly disruptive and difficult to move uh he's a big man but he plays even bigger than his size I mean that's that's how he shows up on tape he's physical enough to battle through front side blocks and this is one of the things you try and watch for and a point of attack defender along the defensive line. How do they handle frontside blocks? But then how do they handle backside blocks when they have to pursue? And from a frontside standpoint, he's definitely physical enough to battle through those blocks. Sometimes it's double teams, sometimes it's pullers uh, to make the stop and even stone people. But then when you run away and he's a backside defender, he's incredibly relentless and he can make those plays from the backside. He just gets up field so consistently and penetrates and pushes the pocket. He can impact things. Even when he doesn't touch the, the quarterback, he can still impact the play. And when you go into some of the edge defenders, let's start with Byerson. Uh, Byerson is another kid from a quality program. Uh, you know, he's from Manchester, Virginia, big and strong, 6'4", 270. What I liked watching these kids was they played multiple spots along the D-line. Uh, they have an edge presence to them, but they also had the girth and the strength to hold their own at the point of attack on the interior. Uh, and Makai Byerson, he has a very long frame. And what stands out is he has an incredibly good feel for the game. He ID screens quickly. He uses his wingspan to anticipate and bat balls. Uh, fiery competitor. That, that, that's a theme that I saw that I brought up to the defensive staff in the show yesterday. So many of these guys, because playing defense can be an infectious behavior in other words if you have this fiery dimension to you it can often rub off on the rest of a defense and so many of these kids that are defenders in this class have that frame of mind to them they play the game very passionately and it stands out the way they do uh but he hustles to the perimeter he delivers blows once he gets there uh he's very physical you watch him he'll take on a counter tray the old school counter tray and absolutely blow it up and stop it in its tracks. He's so strong. I mean, there were times that you would see him kick down to play some zero technique nose guard in passing situations. In other words, zero technique, instead of a shade, you're playing heads up on the center. So we view him as an edge rusher, but he often in passing situations spent time heads up on the center and made life supremely difficult for both the center and thereby the quarterback. It's just, he he was disruptive because he was pushing the whole pocket. He, he fights to keep contained. That's something that sometimes is difficult to coach, but he seems to understand that. And he understands how to leverage the football. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on Byerson to start with? I like Byerson a lot. Um, I, I think he's big and athletic. Um, I think he's going to get a little bit better um, in terms of his, his fire off the ball um, as he gets older and, and gets quicker and faster, stronger and all that stuff. Um, the thing I like about him is he doesn't give up on plays. Like there's a few – where I think he could have just, you know, had plays not coming to my side or, you know, he was double teamed and he fought through it and made, made some tackles. I, I think he's really big athletic. Like I said, he's just a playmaker. And with, with the Bina, he's just so dang long, man. Like he's long and, and 
just rangy, wiry. Like, I don't even know what adjective to describe him as. But I think the theme with Obina, Byerson, and I, or more so uh, Byerson and Kinsler, is those kids, if they get a hand on you, they're, you're, you're done for. Like, they, they wrap up really well. Strong hands. Um, they can make an arm tackle. Not that you want it to be, but um, they're they're just really strong, and I and I and I think those guys are going to be able to play sooner than later. And and I think Abina, once he fills out too, I think is going to be a big impact guy. Um, It'll be another early enrollee. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that's a benefit there. He's you have that head very smart. He's very instinctive. Uh, what what you like? There are certain attributes you look from a from a football IQ standpoint. Like on tape, you would see him that they try and run counter. And he wouldn't take the bait. In other words, uh, he would see the puller and his radar would immediately go up. Because a lot of times what they do on counters, they're trying to get that five technique to fall asleep and then smack him. As soon as he saw the down block, his radar went up and he was ready to engage that puller. And so he brought the business to them. Uh, he has a very quick step, uh, gets up field to hold the edge and make plays versus jet sweep. Another guy, we go back to this theme of leveraging the football and keeping contained. That's not something you're born understanding and appreciating how right. to do. So uh, it speaks well that all these edge defenders have that trait. He understands how to leverage the football. And it's hard to bounce things outside of him because of that. Uh, he's another guy with a very wide wingspan. It's tough for the quarterback to escape his radius once he starts closing in. Uh, you know, the margin for error is pretty great with him. He can impact the play uh, a lot of different ways once he gets into the pocket. Uh, and you'll frequently see him without reaching the quarterback impact the play, forcing a lot of bad throws, a lot of throws into traffic and things of that nature. So th that's another guy that that uh, is not just going to hold, hold the edge, but is also going to be disruptive. And uh, when you look at Kinsler, Elijah Kinsler, another enrollee, early enrollee, he'll be here next month as well. Another of these high-energy animated defenders. I mean, to me, you can't have enough of those kids on that side of the ball. You have to have a shark-smelling blood mentality, and there's a pack mentality to good defenses. And I like the fact that from Kinsler on down the line, so many of these guys had that high-energy quality to them. When you're watching, he's very strong at the point of attack. In yeah. other words, don't underestimate his size and his strength. Uh, he gets the offensive uh, tackle. When you look at the tackle, we'll put him on his heels. And the next thing you know, he's just overpowering him with a bull rush and the, and the tackle has no chance. He's relentless. Yeah, but at the same time, while being relentless, he's also under control. And don't accept that as a given because that's not something all these relentless defenders possess is the ability to also control their approach. Uh, but he plays to the whistle. He's a sideline to sideline guy, which is impressive at that size to be able to do that at a speed and the, uh, the aggression to do that, he too understands leverage. He can take the air out of a gap, but he can also hold the edge. He sniffs out screens. Another thing that speaks to high football IQ, how quickly can you ID and chase down a screen? How quickly can you recognize the timing of a quarterback's throw and get your paws in the air to bat it down? Uh, he has good timing. Speaking of timing, they like to run the, t the stunt and twist game with him a lot, and he does have the timing, and it takes a certain certain timing to master that because what you're trying to do is weaponize the other defensive lineman who you're working in tandem with to make the most of your opportunity to hit that gap. And that's something that stood out. He uses that scheme to his benefit. Uh, he delivers the blow to pullers consistently when they're trying to counter him. Uh, another theme that we see emerging with these D linemen, 
Uh, he collapses things to the point of attack by doing that. And, and there were times that once again, yes, he's an edge guy, but they kicked him down to play some three technique, two technique, one technique. In other words, just about every spot that you can play over top and around an offensive guard as a defensive tackle and be a one gap disruptor. So it, it's one thing to have the skill set to have the burst off the edge, but it's another thing to be able to kick down inside. And what that does it gives you versatility from a scheme standpoint because now if you populate your defensive roster with enough of these types of guys, when you do go with your sub packages, you have the versatility to move these pieces around as you see fit. You can yeah. chop up the front. You can ask an edge guy to get down and play a shaded nose or get down and play a one or two technique. And meanwhile, you have a backer playing the edge. So it gives you a lot of different options. And that's what I like about all these different edge guys that we're talking about that give you that versatility. Yeah, uh, moving to the the next level, the linebackers, they bring in a pair of them, and Curtis Jones Jr. from uh, Midland, and then also Ricky Williams from Archbishop Hoban in Ohio. And, and Williams is is interesting. I think he's a really good run stopper, plays the run well. I think they used him a lot in some blitzes, um, pretty good pass rusher um, at, from the linebacker spot. I'm really interested to see, though, where Curtis Jones ends up, and I think a lot of that will kind of depend on how his body kind of transforms and fills out because I could kind of see him playing different, different places along that second level. And I just don't know where he's going to fit. Very good running back in high school. though. He was an incredibly productive running back. He's a heck of an athlete. Uh, and I, again, when you talk to, to Luke Sammons, the head coach at Cabo Menlin, they've done a good job with that program. Oh, I haven't. <laughs> Curtis Jones was an instrumental part of that. He's another guy that, first of all, a high-value kid, a 4.0 student, a total package. He donates time at the food bank. He's everything you'd want your own son to be. So to welcome him into the locker room uh, says so much, that type of personality and that, that pedigree. And speaking of pedigree, he has family members that have been in the NFL. Uh, he has the versatility to play multiple positions. You saw that from his skill set at running back, but – when you watch what he was able to do from a linebacker standpoint, now first you have to bear in mind what we've done defensively. We basically transformed into a 3-4 defense. And and here's how that's different than from an odd stack look or even a 4-2-5. You, in effect, you have – and that's why you cross-train your mic and your will. We talked so much you know, after the Penn State game last year with Trey and with Lee both playing Mike and Will. Well, it's because they're, they're, they become more creatures of the box. I mean, traditionally – in a 4-3 defense, for instance, there's a certain skill set that you're looking at of your single Mike backer as a creature of the box, as a downhill run defender. And you look your will backer more as a guy, speed guy who can chase That's things down true. from behind because offenses tend to run things to the strength of the formation, which will be away from the will. But in a 3-4, th those traits, the Venn diagram of those two positions overlaps more. So that's yeah. why you're able to cross train them. So when you look at a guy like Curtis Jones, I mean, you could easily see him landing in either one of those spots. And Jeff Koontz even said, like, look, the things that we did early in the season last year with Trey Lathan from a run blitz standpoint and from a pass rush standpoint, the same type of things you could expect to be able to do with Curtis Jones. He's a very versatile athlete. We talked about his production on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, he plays under his pads, and he's that, that, that helps make him a great short yardage defender. You can never have too many of those. He has that knack for sifting through traffic and finding the football, sifting through the trash to get to the ball. 
he has a great timing as a blitzer. That, that's one of those things that you either have or you don't. Some things you can coach, some things you can't. Uh, he's very quick off the edge. Uh, and, and he is a relentless pass rusher. But he has good knee bend, uh, very strong hands, which puts him in position to shed blocks and secure tackles. So I think that the, the sky could be the limit in terms of the versatility that he brings to that room, to that linebacker room. And then when you look at Ricky Williams, first of all, great team leader. Uh, there was a lot of production there his junior and senior year. Uh, I think he had 200 and some odd tackles, 250 or so tackles. I mean, a ton of tackles uh, his junior and senior year. And Coach Coons talked about it. He said, look, we went to practice at one point at Arch Archbishop Hoban. And, and he said, I got out there early before practice. And he said, Ricky's running a 75-team roster through <laughs> pre-practice and through calisthenics and even through the early period of practice. The staff wasn't even out there yet. He said, the level of faith it takes from that staff to allow him yeah. to do that. He said, those are the types of things that, that – those are the cracks between the keys. They don't show up on tape. They only show up when you have a visit, when you actually scout the kid and watch him in practice. But, but speaking of tape, he is really fun to watch. And as the former quarterback in me, it takes a lot for me to say a defender is fun to watch. But sometimes you come across these guys who are. Ricky Williams was a fun guy to watch. He's very active. Another of those fiery defenders. That's a theme that we keep doubling back to. You can't get enough of that. He loves contact. He's an instinctive hitter. He, delish, he delivers that vicious shoulder blow, that old school but legal shoulder blow. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a knack for that that you either have or you don't. And the other thing that stands out on tape, he's very comfortable in space because of his athleticism. Uh, he showed that he he's, was a weapon as a pass catcher for them offensively. So he's a deceptively good athlete. Uh, and he's another guy with incredibly good timing as an interior blitzer. It's one thing to have the timing to be a blitzer off the edge. And this is what I talked to Jeff Koontz about. I said, it's another thing when you watch this kid on tape, he has that timing as an A-gap blitzer. And that's a whole different kind of timing. And that's what stood out. But he's so consistently just stoned people. He's one of these guys who is a shark-smelling blood when he's after the football. And he just explodes into an extra gear. We talk about offensive guys who have an extra gear. Well, sometimes you'll see it on tape with the defensive guy. And Ricky Williams has an extra gear when he's chasing the football to the perimeter. You see that extra gear kick in, and he just lays wood when he gets there at the point of attack. So uh, very impressive. He would so often overmatch fullbacks or tight ends against the run and blow things up. So I think the sky could be the limit. He's already six foot two, 230 pounds. So he might be an early impact type kid. Yeah, I mean, especially like we said with the injuries in that room, the the youth in that room, um, I, I think they're going to have to. Um, moving to the secondary to round things out, this is, I mean, this is a lot of interesting pieces here because there's so many guys that I think could play corner, could play safety, could play some nickel. I mean, there's a lot of guys here that we really don't know where they're going to end up. But the two that stick out to me is Israel Boyce, um, I have him as being a, a multi-year starter. And then I was actually kind of surprised because I didn't really know if Neil would agree with this. But Neil called Chris Henry the hidden gem or, the, or whatever of, of the class. The last two lines of my of my analysis here, my scouting reporters, or whatever you want to call it, was in the right place at the right time all the time and is a potential all-league player. I love Chris Henry. I think that kid is going to be a stud um, probably sooner than later. What do you think about these guys in the back end? 
Uh, well, let's start with Chris Henry. Uh, when, when you watch the tape, uh, another one, Donnellan has a heck of a program. And when you watch the tape, he's the versatility stands out. Uh, I mean, they did a lot of different things with him. He was Johnny on the spot. He found his way to the football. And irrespective of how he touched the ball, he was always explosive when he did. His ball skills jumped off the screen at you. Uh, you know, when he was playing corner, he broke quickly and reacted well. When he was playing safety, he tracked the football so well uh, when it was in flight. He had great timing. Conceptually, he'd fly downhill and fill the alley. Uh, he was also relentless in pursuit. And another guy, we haven't talked a whole lot about special teams, but another guy from a special team standpoint that brings so much value because a lot of these guys in this class uh, in different shapes and different sizes and forms can do a lot. But I had a chance to talk to Tommy Sutton. And, uh, you know, Tommy Sutton, when, when it comes to Chris Henry, is just so incredibly excited about his future. Uh, he's like, look, we got from uh, a background standpoint, when you look at Dunnellan, uh, Terrence Brooks played at Florida State, played for multiple NFL teams. Lorente McRae played at Florida. Uh, Ernie Mills, all the way back to his days of the Steelers. They've had a lot of NFL kids there. And he's like, look, in my 16 years here, uh, Chris is among, if not the best, team leader we've ever had wow. uh, he said he's he's more impactful than those nfl guys were at this age uh he changes the environment of a locker room as soon as he walks in he said he's that type of kid he said i took the job his junior year and we knew immediately he was the guy we looked to and we needed a place and right away there was no doubt about it he wanted us to lean on him in the biggest moments the biggest games uh biggest game in the country or in, in the county uh, was their rival game against Vanguard. And he said, look, I remember uh, in that Vanguard game, they ran outside zone and fumbled. And the next thing you know, Chris scooped and scored from 75 yards away and just absolutely electrified the sidelines. He's a playmaker in every way. Uh, and actually, he played in the uh, 68th Florida uh, Athletic Coaches Association All-Star Classic yesterday in the middle of our show. They were kicking off at 1 o'clock. Uh, but he's he's another guy who's phenomenal on special teams. And I, I mean, th this is a kid who I mean, I, I think that's that's wise on Neil's part. I also regard him as a hidden gem because I don't care what star rating you put next to a kid like that. I don't know how he got over. There's some things that you can't measure on tape. There's some things that you can't measure uh, in a workout setting. And he brings all those things to bear. And, and you know, jumping to voice, you, you talked about voice. Uh, there were a lot of things. Another early enrollee, he'll be here next month. Uh, quickness to break on the football. He diagnoses route concepts very well. Speaks to his football IQ. He He's 5'11", 180, but one of the things that stood out, he plays longer than his frame. Uh, so he, he's able to attack the football in traffic. He, he forced a ton of fumbles. And that doesn't happen, A, unless you're around the football, and B, unless you're a violent defender. So he's all those things. He's very relentless in pursuit. He doesn't give up on a play. Uh, he's a willing and able tackler. Uh, he, he sets the edge defensively. He played some safety, and what he did, he, he didn't shy away from his run fits. He's able to tackle in space. Uh, and, and this is another kid, versatility. Uh, you saw him play field corner to the wide side, played some boundary corner to the short side, but he also played some nickel over top of the slot, and he has the skill set to play the post back at free safety. And his ball skills really jumped off the tape uh, as a receiver. So another guy that's going to bring a lot of versatility to the table. 
Yeah, um, there's a couple other guys there too. You know, Zay Jennings, I think, is is an interesting prospect. Jason Cross, I think, has a chance probably too to to play to make an impact early, whether it's on defense or special teams. Um, but there's just a lot of versatility on this defense, uh, not only with the guys in the back end, but the guys in the front seven as well. So overall, I mean, this is a pretty strong class. I mean, it may not check in high on the the, the recruiting systems and their ratings and stuff like that, but they never do. I mean, they're always kind of somewhere in between the 35 to 50 range, and they always typically play above that. And I think if you look at just the class last year, I mean, look at what Neil and his staff did with that class. It was kind of in the same boat in terms of their star ratings or, or overall ranking. Jaheim White was overlooked. No one wanted Jaheim White. And look at the player he became in just one year. So there's plenty of examples of that. But uh, I look at the other safeties or DBs, the other two that you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like, Skyler, is I struggle to settle on which of these in this class of those back-end defenders I'm most excited about. because a lot of the things we said about Chris Henry, I would say about Cross and I would say about Jennings. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm terribly excited about both those kids. Cross, of course, is a a Pittsburgh PA kid from Bishop Canavan, but very physical, flies downhill, comfortable near the box, great timing as a blitzer, so instinctive with the ball in flight. But I, I had a chance to talk to his head coach and Richard Johnson, and, and he just could say enough positive things. Uh, he talked about, look, we had a game uh, against Steelton Highspire in the opener. It was number one versus number two in the state. He said, first play of the game, we're in cover one man free. And he said, I kind of let him roam and just be what, just cowboy up and do what he wanted back there. And they ran a stretch play to the wide side of the field. He flies downhill through the alley 13 yards and just smacks them for a TFL. And he said, I'm telling you, he said, he is just that type of kid. He showed up as a 115, 120-pound freshman quarterback and even wow. then you knew the it factor was there he didn't back down from anybody or anything uh just an incredible football player an incredible asset when you look at zay jennings th- there's a reason that chad murphy is so excited about him winston woods is a very high level program in the state of ohio in recent years you talk about other defensive backs well in recent years jermaine matthews if that name rings a bell he's at ohio state right now uh, Michigan's Cameron Calhoun came from Winston Woods. He's like, look, I would put what he can do from a production standpoint right there with those kids. So, uh, again, Zay Jennings, physical defender, high energy, fearless tackler, great feel as a blitzer, overmatches running backs and fullbacks and pass pro, plays smart, reads the quarterback's eyes. He's downfield so quick. He IDs things in the screen game. He's disciplined in coverage when he played corner. They tried to double move him. It never worked. I really can't settle on who excites me the most on the back end in this group. And Skylar, in closing, I'd say this. It'd be interesting, especially in the day's age, since the penetration of the portal and NIL. I mean, you saw Ohio State's five-star receiver. The reason he signed late was because he had to get his NIL paperwork done. I mean, that's what's driving today more than ever, even at the high school level. So I I wondered if, if you have West Virginia's, forget what you're ranked. First of all, it's going to be harder to rank high these days than ever before. But maybe one of the things you have to attach to these ratings is uh, a loyalty rating or a commitment rating. What level of commitment do you truly have to the program, to the staff? Now, it's always going to be some guesswork. Some of these kids won't be Mountaineers in a couple of years. That's just the nature of the modern game. But the question is, how many of them? 
compared to other schools. So let's say that you sign 20 kids and you have the 40th ranked class in the, in the country. Okay. Forget the star ratings. Would you rather have 20 of those kids and 12 or 15 of them still be here in a couple of years as the 40th ranked class or sign 20 kids and have the 20th ranked class and half of them are gone or 12 out of 20 of them are gone or that's what you're looking at. In other words, you, you need to somehow find a way. And these are the conversations I had with these high school coaches in the last couple of weeks. You need to find a way to 60% or so of your roster. You're going to lose a third of your roster. So you're still looking at 60 some odd percent that needs to be the foundation, bedrock foundation of your program. How many of these kids are candidates to be the foundation, those three and four year kids that will still be here and cultivate the type of culture and the type of locker room that you want versus bailing out and jumping into the portal? More power to you if you do. I'm not judging you. That's just the nature of the modern game. But I do think we have a puncher's chance to have a lot of those type of long-term kids. You're not going to have all of them. Please don't pull this tape back out in two years say, hey, Jed, you said this and you said that. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I like our chances to retain a little more than the average school. Yeah. Based on long-term relationships over the course of 18 to 24 months that the staff has, has really forged with these coaches and with these players. So what you're telling me is college football playoff 2024. <laughs> It's 12 team. I like our chance. That's right. That's, it, that's the goal. That's it, the goal. Man. So great class uh, for Neil Brown. Again, they're probably not going to add through the high school ranks in this cycle. They'll probably take care of the rest of their needs, either the portal or adding to the walk-on program. So um, don't expect much movement in February, but we will be seeing some of these guys again on campus here in a few weeks, early enrollees, transfers, whenever they get in. And uh, the portal season is still very much active. So be sure to follow our content. We've got a lot of stuff coming up for that. And we'll dive into more of the transfers when they come along as well. And uh, Jed, you and Owen and Wes will be breaking down the Duke's Mayo Bowl here in my backyard in Charlotte here coming up. We got a couple of Actually, be me and Wes. We oh, got yeah. to track down Owen because yeah, we got... we're taping at quirky times this time of year. We have to see. That's true. He, he's got his nose all up in these these Christmas boxes. So, uh, but yeah, we got more content coming for you. This will be the last time you see my face here on the show before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, that'll be that'll do it for us here today. So once again, being here and telling here about your favorite WV football podcast, you've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.